So that does feel to me like a line in the sand. I told my wife, I said, well, if they're going to, and I don't think they are, so I'm not trying to say again that we're out here fighting the man. But if they were going to say, hey, if we see that you're having 11 people over uh, for your house church this week, you have to go to jail. Then I just told Amelia, well, I'm going to go to jail. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Good afternoon, Stephen. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Um, it's going to be a wild one here at Abraham's Wallet. Um, I, I, we're going to talk about today, um, we're going to talk about a couple of things, which is if the leadership of our homes includes, um, let's just say hospitality, it includes the receiving of other people in and making a space for relationships and even church meetings, then how does that interface with the kinds of stuff that's happening in government today? Um, and, and I don't know, there's threats of re-quarantining and all kinds of stuff with regards to the big bad coronavirus. And um, this stuff is hitting you specifically very... Um, very close to the bone. So anyways, we're going to review some kind of biblical uh, handholds for the way that we proceed as family leaders during these times. Um, that's, what's, that's what's on tap. H- how are you doing in general? I'm, I'm good. I think, you know, I, I told you this morning, I, I woke up and I thought I've got to text Stephen because we're going to record a podcast today. And I told you, number one, we've thrown a lot of financial wisdom, I'll call it wisdom, at our, at our yeah, fans no, recently. And a quick thank you to our, to our listeners. I haven't had as much response via emails as I got to that last episode. So sometimes it feels like maybe we're talking into the void here, but when everybody emails yeah, and says... When everybody emails and says, hey, I want one of those discounted will links, um, it's, it's really, it's nice to know that we have listeners and we're not just doing this to hear ourselves talk, although we are not above that. We would, we would do it if oh, it was just for that. Oh, have you ever heard me talk? Wow. What a, what a pleasure. But the other thing I texted you about was in Utah here we have had like i think a lot of places in the country a spike in cases of covid Um, we have not had a spike in deaths or anything like that but they have started cases they love cases they've started announcing some pretty significant changes to how they want us to behave some of those would include no meetings of more than 10 people even if those 10 people are all in your family uh, and you may not know this, but in Utah, that's like half the families have to relocate because we right. have some big families here in Utah. But uh, so 10 person maximum, they did make an exception for religious gatherings and uh, mask mandate, uh, all sorts of things going on here. 
And I wanted to get your take on how are we supposed to do two things well in unison. One would be to honor our leaders, honor our government, uh, and do that well. Uh, I think, you know, as family leaders, we, we have a lot to learn in the area of honoring. And we should be really good honorers, but it's not a part of our culture to honor well. Whether that means honoring authority or it means That's honoring sure. family. So how do we honor, in this case, local, state, and national authorities well, but also <laughs> know when and where to draw the line that says, and this thing we won't be doing. So sorry, we can't do that. We're going to continue X, Y, or Z. So how do we kind of balance these things out? Uh, I think it's got to be on everyone's mind, no matter where they stand on the kind of current culture of coronavirus stuff yeah so that's what i thought we'd talk about well i i will just start by maybe um covering ground that we've already talked about before but one thing that that churches not meeting does is it exposes um what i think is the biblical pattern which is your home is the headquarters of the church your home and um you know it's it's always a uh, an interesting um litmus test to kind of go if what we're talking about or considering couldn't be done by everyone in church history around the world for all time, then it might be the case that you're not talking about something that's actually biblical Christianity. So for instance, um, for us to say, we have to be able to get together in at least gym size buildings, we have to have at least 300 people gather at a time then, okay, well, we know that that's not been possible for believers around the world for all time, because most believers have lived under totalitarian governments for most of history. And we know that the scripture was written to people who were occupied and outcast, etc. So, okay, so that's silliness when we, when we take that stance. So one thing we have to do in this Thing right up front is that we have to divide between what what are we responding to as American Christians who have been enculturated in American Christianity and what is actually God's God's standard what's God's word and what we see in God's word um, and this is what I'm getting back to back to 2020 what we see in God's word is that meeting in homes would be the most normal gathering of, of of believers in history there was a there is a space and i believe it's uh, acts 4 where there there's a, such a growing number of them that they're meeting in solomon's colonnade which we could think of as a park or, a, or an open mall where people are getting together um but that's not, I don't think that's, we can, I don't think we could say that's normative scripturally. So normally church life, and I mean everything from praying together 
to executing church discipline. All of that normally, and I'm talking about biblically, normally happens in a home. And so um, the way I like the spotlight that's put, that's being put on homes, as I said, right now to go, what are your methods for living out um, church life in your home? What are your practices? And one of the things I know that's chafing you, Mark, is that you, you do use your home to be a gathering place for, for church life. And boy, does it feel weird when the government starts uh, putting their fingers in your home and saying what kind of meanings you can have in your home. So um, I, could, I, I could go on a little bit about government. I've, I've recently been studying this stuff, so I have some have some junk to say. Do hey, you have any reactions so far? Uh, I think that you're giving the very rosy, how do we look at the bright side of this maybe for now, like that it is pushing people back into their homes. And I agree that is a good thing that we be forced to understand you know, if when the church building closes, we suddenly left in the lurch, then maybe something was not, uh, maybe we were a little over dependent on the institution. Yeah. Um, I will also say that I feel like there is a place to uh, look at the institution that you happen to be affiliated with if you're affiliated with one and and frankly the the more i grow in years the the more i think that that's a pretty important thing to be is affiliated with a group of believers that's more than just the friends that i call a meeting with yes um so if you are affiliated with some group and they aren't getting together in some formalized basis what I'm seeing is that there's usually some some things that need to be addressed that are driving that, whether that's fear or, um, yeah, uh, we can kind of dig into that as much as you want. But uh, I see a lot of churches that are just saying, "Well, we're not gonna we're not gonna oppose any of the orders that are given to us because that's the the government and it's science. You know, we can't go against science." Uh, yeah. So I could get real, real hot and spicy on this, or I can keep it nice and relaxed. Like, so you kind of tell me where you want to go. Well, I just think it's, it's worth saying that, um, well, let me, let me just review the points that you made. I, I agree that there's an importance in um, being part of a organization, a community, that isn't just my affinity group, people that I like and I hang out with. And I think it's very helpful for us socially to, um, to be with people for whom our only overlap is that we are ostensibly committed to Christ and committed to the cause of the kingdom. I think that's very helpful for us and it, and it, and it uh, enriches us dramatically. I think about my home and the things that I am biblically allowed or conscripted to do 
to have meetings in my home, for instance, and to make disciples with my home and have hospitality. And I want to do those things no matter the challenges. So if the weather's bad, I want to do it anyways. Pass out umbrellas. I don't know. If there's construction at my house, I want to have those same meetings somewhere else. I, I, I want to overcome the challenges so that I can do the things that I'm supposed to do. So it kind of baffles me when the our national church leaders, or maybe that doesn't even exist, our local church leaders, it, it's seemingly across the nation, don't push to do the same thing, which is, well, we're, we're here to do this thing. We're going to make it happen. Uh, what, whatever we got to do. And uh, it, it pleased me, for instance, uh, locally that, that um, my, little, my little church club, we, we met down at the river and did an outdoor thing at, at a park uh, and did that for several weeks. And now they're, uh, now they're having services. They're trying to, you know, be responsible, whatever. But you look at John MacArthur and go, you know, he, he, he made a stink. Well, first of all, his state didn't act the way that my state did. Um, and you kind of go like, wow, are, I don't know, are we supposed to live and die by we, darn it, we should be able to meet by the thousands. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's an odd thing. What, what do things look like where you are? Um, so ostensibly there's a religious exemption for everything, which I guess means you could throw a meeting for 3000 people. If you could find 3000 believers in Salt Lake who wanted to meet uh-huh. at the same time, and that would be allowed, but for everything else, they just said 10 person maximum. Um, and wear a mask I think in the the church that we have been attending, the kind of there's been some strange reactions, uh, and I've seen this in multiple churches, and I've seen other churches go the opposite way. But um, so decisions around okay, are we going to wear masks all the time when we're in a yeah. building? Uh, and I don't really want to get into a mask debate, but. You know, some churches are going yes, and some churches are saying no. And I do understand from talking to leadership at multiple churches that there is not a there's not an option here where you please everyone. <laughs> um, yes. If you're if you're running a church, but uh, it does feel to me like the majority of the folks I talk to across many churches are uh, mostly responding to the cultural uh, temperature and saying, what would be the most cool with the most people? Yeah, that is what we will do. And what I feel a need for, this is certainly what I try to do inside my own home, is leadership that stands up and says, this is where we're going. Get on board or don't, but this is where we're going uh, in, in a time when it feels like if we just keep saying, okay, whatever you say to our local, state, and federal leaders, we end up handing over pretty much everything they, they, they ask for. And I, I think they might be asking for a little too much right now. Well, what, what I can't stand is what you just described. And that seems to be the... Um, decision-making 
the matrix du jour, which is what what can keep the most people happy right now, and and what I what I long for, and maybe we see it in some versions. We certainly don't see it across the board. Is that the church would teach its people what the Word of God says, and then and then. Of course, we can disagree about where those lines fall, but then make a call and then execute and then, and then explain to your people, based on the way that God's word says this, we haven't reached this line yet, et cetera. So <clears throat> I'd like to cover a couple of those, couple of those major lines um, that are in the scriptures for, for these things, not because I need you to judge what the what the brick red brick church house on the corner does, but because I want you to know, I want our our fathers and family leaders to know what the Bible says about government submission, um, and where the line is when we say to them, "We will not submit." Make sense? Yes, I'm excited for this. Okay, so. Um, the, the first thing that I think we have to establish is that there is a God-ordained role of government. And, the, and you know, God operates on a hierarchy. If you, if you don't know that, um, that's the reason that you're a family leader, uh, fellas, is because 1 Corinthians 11.3 says that you're, you're the top of the hierarchy in your home. So... Um, just for a, just just to elaborate, that doesn't mean that you get to make all the decisions, that you get to dominate, and you're a tyrant who walks around with your fist up in the air. That's not how godly leadership works, but you are the leader of your home. So God honors hierarchies, and in his hierarchy, he has inserted people between you and him on the hierarchy. And Americans can't stand that idea because we think it's me and God, I'll execute the way that I feel best about and nobody tells me otherwise. That is, that's not God's plan. Romans 13 nails that, and I'll read some of that in a second. But I, I just want to make the point first that there is a God-appointed role of government. And governments don't act like people do. That's important for us to remember that they, they, they have a, there's a different set of morality and expectations from God. For When I say morality, what I mean is it's wrong for you to take a gun and go and kill someone. That's murder. And uh, biblically, you'll be, you'll be killed for it. Um, it's not wrong for a government which has national interests and is supposed to protect its borders. It's not wrong for them to raise an army. It's not wrong for them to go to war and kill people for the sake of uh, protecting their company. That's not murder. That's not, that doesn't violate the sixth commandment that, it, that an army goes to war. Um, okay, so for instance, uh, I'll give one more example. The death penalty is not murder. Genesis 9-6 says that the death penalty is um, ordained by God for nations to do. It says, whoever kills, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. So that's not murder when you do that, when you, when you, you know, punish someone in, in justice. Um, 
they're supposed to punish evildoers. They're supposed to praise good actors. They're supposed to collect taxes. Um, all of those things are fine. So government does, does uh, exist in a little space that you don't, you don't get to have. Um, now that's important for us. That's important for us to know. One thing that I, I see in the way that we're reacting to government these days is especially with um, I'm seeing with Gen Zers is a real shoulder shrug toward government as if I don't care. I couldn't care less what happens to the state of Ohio, the state of Utah. I don't care about the United States of America. I'm not a nationalist. I mean, <laughs> I'm not a nationalist. Um, and, and it's kind of like these jerks um, extract a tax from us. I, you know, I guess if they want to make roads and bridges and streetlights and water come to our house, I mean, I guess they can do that if they want to, whatever. But who cares what happens with them? I just, I want to say that's got not a godly position. So Jeremiah 29, 7 says, Seek the peace of the city, listen to this language, where I have caused you to be carried away captive. So there's a sense in which your Americanness, your Utahness, my Ohioness is a place where God has chosen for us to be. Acts 17 says that he chooses the times and places when he wants where he wants people to live. So we're wherever we are right now, God's put us here. Um, but if you were dragged away there and made captive, like in slavery, like they were in that passage, then you're supposed to burn down the city, right? Great question. Because of Thank systemic, so systemic injustice? Yes, systemic injustice. You would be so justified to rant and rave and then destroy anything that you can. Great point, Mark. And the answer is not for a Christian. Christians are not allowed to act that way. Matter of fact, I'll just say, since we're, we're drifting over into this for a second, I'll just say the Bible was written exclusively to people who were oppressed, occupied, and had guns pointed at them for being Christians. This is who the Bible is written to. And Christians have been doing this a lot longer than, and than America has been around or anybody has felt oppressed or blah, blah, blah. Um, and the Bible has one thing to say over and over and over um, to, to, to people like us. And that, I think that's captured best in, in um, 1 Thessalonians 4, where it tells us to live quiet lives, keep your nose in your own business, be faithful in your home, and let the world outside, let it carry on the way that it's going to carry on. So we're to, here's the point I was getting to, um, we're to live and work for the good of the godless society that we're in. And, you know, God is not the king of America. We, we, we don't have national days of fasting. We don't honor exclusively Jehovah, the one true God. Um, he, he's, he's not honored nationally. He's, he's not our national God. There's a different God in America. It's, it's 
probably some version of independence or comfort. Um, probably independence would be probably be number one. But in Jeremiah 29, 7, I'll finish the verse. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Seek the peace of that city and pray to the Lord for it so that in its peace you will have peace. So our definition of citizenship is something about working for praying for and seeking for the good of the city where you are. Now, that would expand to the state where you are and the nation where you are. So am I, am I loyal? Am I a Cincinnati loyalist? Yes, I am. Am I more interested in it going good for Cincinnati than I am for Tuscaloosa? Yes, I am. Why? Because this is where the Lord has me. So I'm more interested in Ohio then I am interested in New Hampshire because I'm here. Similarly, I'm more interested in the United States than I am in Paraguay. Does that make me a nationalist? Well, I'll let you, you can decide that. But I am seeking and praying for the peace of the place where I live. So that's an important thing, I think, to start with our, what is just our general disposition towards government. And our disposition is it was put there by God. And if you feel that you've been carried away into captivity, um, so be it. Great. Well, you're, I can tell you what you're supposed to do if you feel that way in America. You're supposed to seek the peace of this city and you're supposed to pray for that city. Um, I think the best, I'm not going to go into much detail here, although it is a fascinating study. I think the best person that we can look to um, for how to act is Daniel. And Daniel was a blessing to the pagan Babylonian and Persian empires for which he worked. Um, and it's amazing to look at Daniel's life, what he did to serve, to serve a king who claimed to be God and made a statue of himself and told everybody to bow down to it. And Daniel, while, okay, we're, we're going to get there, while he wouldn't bow down to that statue, he was constantly affirming that king. He was a blessing to that king. He served the king spiritually. He, he, uh, he affirmed that God was the one who had given this wicked king authority and greatness. He, he received compliments and honor from this king. And the king was terrible. The king murdered in mass and he desecrated the temple and demanded that a nation bow down to him. And Daniel was determined, I'm going to be a blessing to this guy. That, that'll really screw with your Americanness because we would never, I'd never, I would never say one nice thing about a president that I didn't agree with all of his policies. And that we, we love to enact our Americanness as if it's some kind of righteous indignation, and it's not righteous. Uh, because let me, let me read um, let me read Romans. You got anything to say before I read Romans? No, I think I'm going to have questions on part two. Okay, so here's a, I'll read two two passages too. These are the classics. One's Romans uh, chapter thirteen. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. 
Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. You think you're hip for wearing a t-shirt that says resist on it. I'm just throwing this out for you. Whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. You want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good. You'll have praise from, from the same. Because he's God's minister to do you good. Okay? So there, I'll just read the end of this passage. This is uh, Romans uh, 13. I'm getting to verse 5. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience's sake. Because of this, you pay taxes. That's not described as an evil thing. They are God's ministers. Ministers is the word that God would use for government officials. They're God's ministers attending continually to this very thing, which is the collection of taxes and doing whatever they want with them. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due customs to who customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Okay, so there's, there's one, that's Romans 13. First Peter 2 says, I'm, I'm going to read this because it is, it is so shocking how, how far this, this command goes. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. So Peter's affirming, listen, we just finished Sukkot, where we talked about being sojourners and pilgrims. This isn't our permanent home. We, we are here temporarily, to borrow that language from Jeremiah 29, we, we are here captives in this land right now. This isn't my home. This isn't the kind of freedom I'm longing for. The kind of freedom I'm longing for is to see my master face to face and to be in his presence. That, that's what that's what I'm longing for. I'm longing for a place where there's no one who, who opposes him. Um, that, that'll be great. But we're so, sojourners and pilgrims right now. Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of the visitation. So subject yourselves, this is how, this is what Peter says, how would you conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles so that they might honor God when they see you and go, wow, that guy's on a pilgrimage, he's headed somewhere else. Here it is, verse 13 of 1 Peter 2. So subject yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governor's as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good, because this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I wonder what God's will is for my life. I know what he is. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's for you to submit to the ordinances of the king and to governors. The insinuation is that godless men are loudmouths, by the way, it says, because verse 15 says, this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. So godless people are loudmouths and have to be heard on social media all the time. As free, not yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. 
honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Good memory verse, 1 Peter 2, 17. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to, not only to the good and gentle masters, but also to the harsh, as if submitting to bad government wasn't strong enough, submit to cruel slave owners. Because this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Is it? Now, I, I'm not a medical professional, but based on my readings, is it right that uh, I would be forced to wear a mask in Kroger? No. It's not. Let me read verse 19 of 1 Peter 2 to myself. It's commendable if because of conscience toward God, you would endure grief, suffering wrongfully. What credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer for doing good, if you take that patiently, now that is commendable before God to do good and then suffer for doing good. This is what you were called to because Christ also suffered for us and he left us an example that we should follow his steps. He committed, this is a quote, he committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. He's quoting Psalm, which is a prophecy about Christ. Who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died now to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So he says the overseer of your soul has put you in a position where you might be able to, and the irony is almost never in American history have we had to do anything that approaches this passage. But you might be able to suffer in a way that's unjust. And if you did, if you suffered well for the Lord, he would, he would notice it. It would be commendable to him. So, again, let's remember that Paul and Peter were writing to believers surrounded by a pagan government that killed Christians for sport. And he said, um, you need to submit to them. So let me just say for things that are um, debatable, things that are debatable, like, I don't think I should have to wear a mask. I don't really think this is a pandemic at all. Okay, great. Um, that's fine. You can think whatever you want, but how will you act? You're commanded to submit yourself to governing authorities. It doesn't say, I mean, we're, we're going to couple this with other passages. It doesn't say to a point. These passages don't say that. They don't say, now, if they push you too far, now, okay, you can dig your heels in. Now, we're going to couple this with other passages where we, where we have reason to think that there is a point of digging our heels in. But these passages don't say that at all. They simply say, God's man is ruling wherever you live. And to honor God, you should, you should submit 
even, and it goes, and it talks about unjustly, and it talks about uh, uh, cruel masters, and it goes, you should still submit to them. The Lord notices it. You'll be rewarded for it. So that's my, that's my first point, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put any caveats on that because the scriptures don't put any caveats on that. What do you say? I think that that's, there's no argument to, that I have to bring to that. The, the question I have, uh, you can redact this if you want, but I remember a time uh, when I was a high schooler that you were really big on we shall not exceed the speed limit ever. Mm-hmm. because it is the government's authority to set that limit and we can honor God by obeying it. I also know that there's been times, maybe even in the past six weeks, when I have uh, seen you flout the please wear a mask sign in a place where mask mandates were in effect. So yeah. uh, maybe help people out if we agree with this philosophically, but what does it look like in practice? Is there room for the intent of the law? You and I have talked about that, so I know kind of what your thoughts are on it, but how does the way that you might put some of these into practice in areas like the mask or the speed limit mesh with this verse? Well, uh, the reason that I have these passages at my fingertips, I'm looking at a gigantic document um, that I've put together on the subject is because I've been teaching a class recently on this. And as, I, as I'm walking through this class, I'll just tell you, I mean, I, I felt extremely um, corrected by going through it. And um, I repented to a, to a small group that my, my wife and I were in and then confessed, you know, the, the, uh, the zenith of all of this was, was that I was telling them a story bragging about it. Cause I'm such a big, tough guy, um, about lying to a, to a store clerk and saying, I have a medical condition and, and that's why I'm not wearing a mask. <clears throat> and <clears throat> admittedly, I've heard a bunch of people say, well, that's the law. You can, you can make that claim. And, it's, and it is bad for you to wear a mask. And you shouldn't be breathing your own air, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is that I lied to the guy. And, and in walking through the stuff, I'm like, oh, Lord, I just repent. There's, there, is, there is American cowboy um, in me. And I want to come out of it. So, um, you know, I would apologize to you or, or whoever else. Um, and I'm, I'm very, I would say I'm, I'm very persnickety these days of, I'm, I read the door of where I'm going in. I go, well, they require this. Well, we're doing this. Um, uh, we went to dinner last night and, I asked them, do, we, do, do you want me to have a mask on? They said, you can do whatever you want. I was like, okay, great. I'm not going to wear one. But if they require it, I'm going to submit to that. So <clears throat> that's my feeling on that. Um, regarding um, speed limits, that, I, think that's a great, I think that's a great question. And I don't think my answer is necessarily the right answer. I just know that I, I have talked to policemen before and asked them, what do you want me to do? And they say, 
that those posted speed limits are a reference. We want people to stay within, I think they said nine miles of the posted speed limits. And if you do that, we're very happy with you. As far as we're concerned, you're obeying the law. Okay. Well, if you guys wanted us, if it says 55, you want me to go 55, I'll go 55. And they said, well, when you're on the highway, if you're on something that's 55 or above, we're looking for nine miles. So that's, that's what I've done. Um, you, would you say on that one, it's fair to ask the Lord and obey yes. your conscience so long as you're not saying that he told me that 100 miles an hour in my Tesla is acceptable? Yes. Um, cool. Well, that's actually really encouraging to not because I'm any different than you, but to hear that you got correction and turned around. Yes. We don't talk about that very much here on Abraham's wallet, but I think yeah. repentance has to be a feature of our weekly lives. And so that's cool. Um, yeah. No, okay. I'll also say rebellion is such, is such an American value because of independence. So re rebel without a cause, you know, just, I mean, you can look at, if you even know this show from the, from the, 60s or 70s um the idea of fonzie he's just not i'm just i'm just not doing all that stuff y'all i mean i'm just i'm just too cool for all that stuff there's something so american about a spirit of rebellion and we like to think that you can um have neat little borders for rebellion but when there's a bunch of kids dressing in black and and yanking statues down they're expressing the same thing that i'm expressing by not wanting to wear a mask it's the same spirit and first samuel 15 says that rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is like worshiping false images and it's not okay it's not clean and it's not cool and it's not cute and we don't get to say well i'm an American, or I'm from Texas, or, or well, I just come from a family where we just kind of, we, we, we question everything, like the bumper sticker says. Tough luck. No, that's not okay for us, because we're, we're believers, and we're supposed to be tracking with a different kingdom. So I, 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 part of me wants to stop the podcast right now and just print this and just go, no caveats. We're all rebels. We all need to repent, and God has said very clearly how we're supposed to act to um, people in authority, specifically government officials. But okay, well, in in there's a couple of quick reactions. Number one, I don't want to do another podcast on should you wear masks or <laughs> should your church meet because it's not our primary lane, even though it's certainly a part of what we talk about. Uh, I think we're going to get clicks when I title this episode, Should You Wear a Mask? And I like that. But uh, what I'm hoping is that before we can this, so if you're just listening and you're thinking, I'm sick of it, get, get it done, you could turn it off now. And the message would be, you should submit to, yeah, turn it off. to your local authorities. Um, and I think that would be fair. We don't we're not about to continue for this last 10 minutes and tell you 
here's why we actually think you should be stockpiling ammo and preparing to take out your local officials. Um, that's not going to happen in the last 10 minutes. But what I think is important uh, are two things. You and I have been just eating up Rod Dreher's new book, Live Not By Lies. And so some of the questions that are on my mind right now, and a lot of my friends are reading that book too. I recommend it. Maybe we'll do a review in the yeah. future. But a lot of the questions that are on my mind are related to two things. Number one, what do we do when government strictly says, hey, you cannot do the things that you are specifically commanded to do? Um, and I know that the, the quick answer is, well, we, we do those things. Um, but that's question number one is, like, how do we deal with that when it's maybe not a Soviet Russia type situation, but a little bit of a softer push? And yes. number two, what about the spaces that aren't commanded by government at all? So those who um, maybe are not gathering, uh, you know, I think about Hebrews 12 and they're, they're saying, well, we don't, we don't need to, to gather right now. We can forsake gathering because we're really just very worried about this, this virus. Right. Um, so what, what do we say to those people in our lives? I'm sure everybody has those friends and family who would right now be saying, we're not leaving the house practically. Um, those are the yeah. two things I think we should at least sprinkle a little Abraham's wallet fairy dust on before we leave. Okay. Well, I'm not going to be able to keep room in my head for all those, but I'll address the first one because Roger certainly makes a compelling case that um, soft totalitarianism is at our doorstep. And I mean, you can follow, you can follow Rad on Twitter for the moment until they shut him down, and he can out uh, and he can display for you um, what what he's helpful at doing is showing us articles, current articles that are like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. So we, I do think that we need to have in our minds what are our communal non-negotiables. Um, <clears throat> so let's go back to Daniel. So Daniel had two, two moments. Um, one was that he was commanded by his government, you will not pray to anyone except the king. And Daniel's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I assume that's what he did in person. And then he, he simply walked away and he said, well, in my home, they're not going to tell me how I can worship and I'm going to pray to the Lord and worship him in my home. That was Daniel's understanding of, of the kingdom This happened in his home. And of course the officials who knew him well knew this guy is not going to stop uh, praying. So they kind of spied on him and caught him. Um, and we need to have this, a similar um, standard in our mind of, I'm going to worship in my home. I'm going to lead my family toward Lord with the Bible. Um, the other thing that he did was he was commanded to in public, the whole nation came out and he was one of the, he was one of the golden boys of that society. He'd been through their leadership training program and they hauled his butt out there with his three buddies and said, now let's watch you bow. They said, I won't be bowing. And like, this is a guy who has been very gracious. He's not thumbing his nose. He's not trying to, he's not trying to tear down 
the regime of of the king. He's simply going, I'm not, I'm just not, I can't do that. And I think that's a big thing for us is that we, we're not supposed to go make a big stand and go try to change things publicly. We're supposed to simply go in private. I, I, I can't abide by that because I have to honor the Lord. And, and so my read on, the, on these stories scripturally is that we should, first of all, I would venture to guess most believers don't even have a life of, of private devotion to the Lord and are meeting in their homes to study God's word. But there should be a fiery um, border around these things for you, which they, I'm sorry, they cannot be touched. So for you to, for you to gather I, with your immediate family in your home, I know you would be violating that 10-person deal that Utah is asking for. So I think you have a really legitimate um, prayer conversation to have here, Lord. Okay, well, it looks like we're at the place where I'm drawing a line because if I get together, um, your, your dad's coming in town, your sister's family. If you just invited your sister's family over, to meet with your father and everyone sing a praise song together, you'd be violating Ohio law. I mean, Utah law right now. I think that's a problem. It's certainly something to consider. Um, but when it touches these basics of meeting together in our homes to pray, to worship, to study God's word, and I can extrapolate into acts, sharing our faith with someone on the street, um, those are things that are non-negotiables. So, so we, we'd have to be prepared for jail for those. Right. Yeah, I think so. I think that again, I don't want to make us sound like we're going up against the government quite yet. They did say religious activities are exempt. And to that, I said, well, Anytime we gather with other families, for the most part, uh, we think that is a gathering of the church. And, and a lot of those involve prayer, study, singing. Um, that's kind of a normal thing that happens in our house on a weekly basis. So, well, I would venture a guess, even if that wasn't a kind of church meeting, probably the families you're having over is because you're trying to make an evangelistic relationship with them, which is also a religious activity. Right. So that does feel to me like a line in the sand. I told my wife, I said, well, if they're gonna, and I don't think they are. So I'm not trying to say again, that we're out here fighting the man, but if they were going to say, Hey, if we see that you're having 11 people over, uh, for your house church this week, you have to go to jail. Then I just told Amelia, well, I'm going to go to jail. Uh, for that. And I feel pretty good about that unless you want to tell me that's not allowed. That sounds great. Now on the other front, which is um, there's still a lot of people who think churches, for example, that even with permission of the government going back to meeting in person are crazy, uh, irresponsible, etc. That's common where we live. There's people on both sides of that argument. Do we have anything to say to that attitude? 
Well, the first thing I would say is if they run the organization, they can run it however they want. That's the first thing. Um, I don't know how your local church operates. Um, the place where I grew up in, in Houston, the network of families was so strong that we really valued the input of every, every family. Um, that, I mean, from the way the, the money was spent to the way the meetings worked. Um, I don't think that church life is necessarily a democracy. Um, and I don't think that everything needs to be voted on that, that, Again, that's Americanness informing our church practice. Um, but my my uh, fantasy of the kind of dudes who listen to this is that they're very involved uh, elder types. They're they're leaders. They're disciple makers, and they they are probably recognized by the leaders of their church. So. If that was the case, and we're sitting here talking to an army of, of um, well, uh, elders in the church, for, for lack of a better word, the, the leaders, the trusted leaders in the church, then I'd say, yeah, I think it'd be great for us all to put relational, a little relational pressure to go, look, here's what I see as, here's what the CDC is saying. Um, here's, here's what, um, gosh, the, the WHO is saying, everybody seems like, uh, statistically, there's not a lot to be worried about. I think we should err on the side of being aggressive. I think we should go back to church and we should start worshiping together. Shout out. I think that would be, I think that'd be a great precedent personally. I was going to give a little shout out to Brian Tome, lead the aggressive life. Yeah, the aggressive life. Let's yeah, let's err on the side of getting it done. Cool. Because it seems clear to me where we are right now as a society. I don't think anybody knows where's the line when we actually get to go, okay, it's all over, everybody go home. Everybody go about your business. I don't know when that's coming. And there seem to be threats with the the election cycle that's happening right now, there seem to be some threats in the water. We're going to double down. We're going to make it worse than ever before, in spite of what the numbers are saying. So, I, again, I, I feel like the, the, Christian, the Christian man, the leader, the entrepreneurial, free, strong, confident Christian man is going, let's, let's rock and roll. Let, let's do it. Anyways, that's me. I dig it. Well, Stephen, I kind of just put you up on the on the dais and and made you roll there for an hour. So I appreciate. I know you put a ton of time into preparing all of that, and I appreciate getting it out on the podcast. Uh, I wonder if we'll get any any letters of love or hate after this. We're shut down. We might get shut down. We might pull this episode when the uh, when the storm clouds gather, and we hear the boots on the streets. But yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to. I'm happy to opine on these things because I don't think we understand at large what the Bible says, and so we're left to opinions. And and 
waffling between what do I think? What's this guy think? That's not how we make decisions. We go to God's word and we execute, we obey what he's telling us. So I'm really happy to look at these things and sorry if it's droned on for anybody, but I'm very interested in it. So I guess the the way I'll leave it is that I think that there's a couple big calls to action. One is to seek the peace of the city where you have been put by the Lord. Here, here. Um, that's good for me to think about and not to point and laugh when there's a car full of people or even worse, maybe the individual masked car driver. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think seeking the peace for the city doesn't just mean this ethereal sense of uh, we just bless the city. We pray. It actually means when I see individuals um, as well, that I'm going to be for them uh, and hoping that uh, the Lord blesses them uh, as a part of blessing this whole city. So that's good for me. Um, And there was another one. Oh, uh, I, I am taking away from this some hard thinking on what can I repent of this week that maybe I've been walking around with a chip on my shoulder. And I think I woke up with a chip on my shoulder because I was not happy about some of the news. And uh, repentance, it always leads to salvation without regrets, right? Yes, and it leads to times of refreshing, Acts 3.19. So... We could probably all use refreshing, even those of us who are feeling pretty okay about life right now. Uh, And that's that's what I'll be doing as a takeaway. So I would just invite the listenership to join me in two of those actions. Wonderful. Well, I encourage everybody to lead your family, not to be rebels. Lead your family to be a blessing. Have strong perimeters of this is going to be a home of, of hospitality Um, and a home of worship. And we're going to, as much as it's conceivably possible, we're going to submit to everything that we're told to do by kings and governors. By the way, I I know this is at the bitter end, but I wanted to drop this in, a a recommendation for a book called um, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which is a book that's all about hospitality. And that then that there's a way to follow the Lord in the way that you run your house. I think that's probably a good resource for a lot of our people is that if your home is ground zero, you, sh- you might want to study up on how to be great at it. So little, little uh, reco for free, you. Free recommendation to close it out. Yeah, well, that's right. Awesome. With that, thank you. This is Mark Parrott for Abraham's Wallet. And this is Stephen Manuel. Thanks for your time. <laughs>